You're listening to the Brown Sign Project podcast. Do you spend hours creating your rotors and then spend days constantly adjusting them? We have the solution. At Staff Savvy, we specialise in shift schedules and timesheet solutions for visitor attractions. Easily manage multiple complex teams of permanent, casual, freelance and volunteer staff across different locations and disciplines. With fast communication features, automatic compliance tools, training management and simple timesheet tools, Staff Savvy has been used and trusted by organisations such as V&A Dundee, the South Bank Centre and the Royal Albert Hall with great cost-saving benefits. Visit us at staffsavvy.com forward slash brown sign project to learn more and schedule a demo of our magic rotor button. Hello and welcome to the Brown Sign Project, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the tourism and attractions industry, talking to inspiring professionals about their careers. My name is Carlton Gadgeter. And I'm Carly Strawn. In our final episode of this series, we've got a fantastic conversation with Richard Neville, a visitor services manager who works on the ABBA Voyage production in London. If you haven't been to the ABBA Voyage, you have to. I can't really explain it because that would ruin the surprise, but it's absolutely incredible. Richard takes us through his career so far, from an encounter with an inspiring customs officer on a school trip, to now how he takes on a day-to-day challenge on working on a revolutionary event attraction in a brand new venture. We are treated with some great advice on transferable skills learnt in the voluntary sector, as well as his own experience as a customer and how he enhanced operations and visitor services roles. And a huge thank you, as always, to our series sponsors, Staff Savvy and Stephen Spencer and Associates. We're really, really grateful they've supported us and enabled us to make this series. And now onto our conversation with Richard. As with all our guests, we're asking him to pop on his name badge and tell us about himself. My name's Rich. I uh, obviously work in visitor services management. I'm currently um, one of the visitor services managers on the ABBA Voyage production um, in the Olympic Park in London. Excellent. We are definitely going to have a discussion about the ABBA Voyage. We are both, both Carl and I are very, very excited about this. Very, very excited about this. <laughs> this is pretty much all my friends want to talk about right now. Yeah, I can imagine. So no, that sounds good. Excellent. Um, Excellent. So I'm going to kick us off with the icebreaker question, which um, what job did you want to do, Rich, when you were a child? What was your dream occupation? I always wanted to be a train driver, always. And I think it was that, you know, that boyhood obsession of machinery and Thomas the Tank Engine. And I had Thomas wallpaper and Thomas bedsheets. And I'm, you know, I'm still a big fan. Um, so, yeah, I always wanted to be a train driver. Do you still harbour the ambition to be a train driver? One day. Well, I always, do you know, I always think if I if I get to a point where I'm not doing so much shift work anymore, maybe I'd go and volunteer on, you know, like a steam railway or something. I get probably, again, you know, like visitor attraction, but more of you know getting a bit getting your hands dirty and blowing the horn and stuff I think that'd be pretty fun I actually that you've just struck my memory of I had a really weird conversation with someone recently about exactly that about the fact that they really struggle for younger volunteers on railways um and there you go there's your there's your call to action that's my in there you go yeah absolutely <laughs> I'll make absolutely. an no, intro you can <laughs> Rich, I've got a quick question for you. Just a side yeah. question. What's your favourite kind of train? Like your first favourite engine? Oh my goodness! So I, I'm sure we'll touch on this later. But I, before I got into doing what I do now, I used to be an immigration officer, 
and I would go through the channel tunnel every day to work like to and from work oh, every day what a commute and, um, that is such oh, a cool was, commute it was both cool and absolutely horrendous at the same time um but yeah you know the big like where you drive your car onto the train at the channel tunnel and they yeah. just seem to go on for miles and miles and miles yeah um so yeah probably those i mean it's not a very glamorous answer but yeah well, I would say that as a fellow train nerd, that, that the most one of the most exciting things you can do is drive your car onto the channel tunnel. Oh, 100%. You can't do it anywhere else in the country, it's really. So, so cool. That's no, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so from, from train driving to uh, to what you do now, that's a, that's, a, that's a big old jump. But the first question really we have is around kind of the qualifications that you have. So you obviously aspire to be a train driver. And then at some point in your um learnings you decided that you were going to follow a slightly different career path or maybe you didn't maybe you got here by accident but yeah. what qualifications do you have and do you think that they kind of had an impact on what you do now or are they unrelated what were your um, plans i had no real plans i didn't go to university um i have okay gcse's and okay a levels um it was never really for me but ironically my sister is the real um, you know, she's she's done a, a degree and a master's and a doctorate. So she's got the brains of the family. And I think that's kind of why I fell into doing more operational stuff than, uh, you know, not to say that anyone in operations <laughs> hasn't got a brain, but the more kind of like thinking on your feet type thing rather than academic. Um, so, yeah, I, I remember, as I said, I, I used to be an immigration officer when I kind of pretty much when I first left school. And I remember going on a school trip I was maybe 15, 16, and we went to France for the day. And this guy got on the on the coach. And um, he was just like so jolly, so lovely. And he said, hey, everyone, really hope you have a great day in France. Really quickly, if everyone can wave their passport in the air. And he kind of came down and saw us all. And he was just so engaging. And this would have been, year, this was years ago. And I always thought that must be such a cool job. Like you get to meet so many people. And I just kind of applied. I saw it advertised in the paper. I like I grew up in Kent, so the you know you've got the Channel ports there, and and I just kind of got the job. And I, as I said, I travelled to France every day, and it was it was great. Like I really enjoyed it. You didn't know what was going to happen every day. Something would always turn up that was a bit unusual. But I think more more than being interested in the immigration side of things it made me more interested in in the operational side of things and and you know whether it's being an immigration officer at a port or working on a bigger event or at a tourist attraction that being on the ground and dealing with stuff that happens was kind of really what attracted me to to then getting into this side of things and I think you hit on something really key there which is not you know there's not one day like the next and I think a lot of us who work in operations would feel of a, a kinship with that is that really is the stuff that gets you out of bed in the morning you know the fact 100%. that you, you don't know necessarily what you're going to come up against and sometimes it's great and sometimes it's weird sometimes it's terrible <laughs> um but you know that that understanding that you'll make a difference to somebody's day I think what a what a lovely thing to think is that that immigration guy who probably was you know like most of us just doing his job and you know yeah. the box for that thing but was nice enough to inspire a passion for for the future generation i think we should all aspire to be that guy right like yeah and it was it was really interesting because i remember when i on my first day of training i would have been um i'd have been 20 and i really didn't know what i was doing at all like i before, before that 
I'd been a um, a cashier supervisor at Wix, the building merchant place. And then I got this job working at immigration and it was, you know, it was part of the home office back then. It was like a serious, you know, job. And I turned up on the first day thinking, oh my God, I've got no idea what I'm doing at all. But they gave you one of those big, like fluorescent jackets with immigration officer on the back. And I remember that guy having one of those. And I genuinely, I was sat there in the, the first day in the training room going, this is like, this is what that guy's done. I'm kind of doing this thing that I thought I'd do four or five years ago just because of that guy. So it was a nice kind of full circle, really. That's amazing. I think that being able to put that, all of us will have had that experience, right? If we turn up on our first day at work and we don't know what we're doing. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) Genuinely, even now as a pretty experienced person in my job, I still have those moments of thinking, I've really in over my head here. But like you said, to to put that jacket on and feel like this is official now. I'm somehow given... I think a lot of us will, and, and and great kind of life lesson for people who are coming into this early days is we all feel that way. doesn't matter 100%. how far on in your career you are, you will still feel that first day nerves, but sometimes you've got to put the jacket on, right? And just, just fake it till you make it kind of stuff. Yeah, and, and I think there's always, a th- whatever role you go into, you're always thinking, oh my goodness, this is, you know, a bigger event that I've worked on than I've, than I've previously done or... This is, you know, this place that I'm going to work has more visitors than I'm that I've previously worked, you know, worked with. There's always some apprehension, as you say, regardless of what level you're at and what experience you've got. That's brilliant. Um, I'm going to ask you a really deep question now. You ready for this? Okay, go on. All right, let's do this. So <laughs> the question I'm going to ask you is, what is your why? Like, why do you do what you do? Um, that is a very good question. the The main thing for me is we've all been to stuff, whether it's a visitor attraction, whether it's an event that you've gone to, whether it's a wedding of a friend in a stately home somewhere, we've all been to stuff and we thought, oh, that was all right. Um, and you, you come away going, oh, yeah, that was, that was fine. For me, everybody that comes to anything I work on, I want them to go, I want them to come away from that going, that was amazing. That was brilliant. And there was very little they could have done to make it better. And that's the why, basically. I want everybody, you know, people don't have an unlimited amount of money. People don't have an unlimited amount of time. And if they're gonna spend money and time going to something that you're working on, you know, whether it's whether it's an event or they're gonna spend the day at an art gallery or a museum, you know, that's, that's for, for a lot of people, that's a big investment and it has to be brilliant, basically. And anything that I can do from a from a from a visitor experience point of view that will make it as good as possible can only be a good thing. Yeah, that's a, a great thing to aspire to. I think is let's say that we we all need to think about what do we do to really raise the bar on that respect of just thinking this isn't it's not okay to just be okay. You know, we really need to push the boundaries as to. I think one of the things when I used to train. Um, people on their first day in their jobs as part of their induction would be to get them to remember a time when they've come away from something thinking that was the best thing I've ever done or like that really kind of pushed the boat out for me um and then think you know what was it that made it that way because it's very rarely the thing itself it's usually a combination of the place the people the service that you got the things that you experienced the people that you were with you know I think that makes a massive massive impact on people we did some training in a previous role 
maybe 18 months ago um, with an organization called The Whole Story, who we brought in to basically um, refresh our visitor assistants, or our, not even not only visitor assistants, but anybody in the organization that was visitor facing after being closed for so long due to COVID. And a lot of that was about, you know, your personal experience, because everybody who works in a visitor facing role has been a visitor at some point to something. And you all have positive and negative experiences. And so much of that training was around, tell us about a time that you went to something and it wasn't that good. And how did you feel about it? And what did it make you feel kind of coming away from that experience? And then the flip side of that is tell us a time where you went and it was amazing. And tell us about how that made you feel and the specifics about what made it good. And then you kind of draw out of that. Okay, well, you've made your own list of the things that you like. Now let's take that and put it into your everyday life and give that to everybody that visits, basically. It makes such a difference. Yeah, it really does. And so can you can you talk us through obviously you you you're in your immigration role, you've got your big coat on. <laughs> How do you get then from where you are and, and can you tell our listeners actually what it is that you're doing today in terms of that the the ABBA voyage, I guess, is kind of a voyage. <laughs> you want to hear the, the rich voyage before we get to the ABBA voyage. Yes, please. That'd be great. <laughs> so at the time I'd always been involved in the scouts as a kid. I'd you know, you you go along on a Thursday night and you you know, like you, like everyone does, if you're a scout or a guide or whatever. And um, I remember when I was about 16, 17, a friend of my dad used to, um, used to DJ, just like discos in your village hall kind of thing. And he just had a kid and he said, oh, I've got all this stuff. I kind of need some money. I need the space. Um, so a friend of mine and I spent 50 quid on some big speakers and some flashy lights. And we would just play music in my dad's garage. And then after a while, you know, you're 16, kind of 17, everyone's like, oh, it's my birthday party. You've got some big speakers. Can you come and just play some music on that? And, um, and it, was, it was really good fun. I was, it was just a bit of fun. And then when I was maybe kind of early 20s, still a bit involved with the Scouts, they said, oh, we, we're doing these big events where we get 5,000 kids for a week over the summer and they do loads of activities. And we put a stage up and at night we'll have a film night or a party or a band playing. Can you kind of come and host the stage? Because, you know, you've done a bit of DJing and stuff before. So I went along and did that and it was brilliant. It was so much fun. Just a week of volunteering. But you you then get speaking to the guys who were building the stage or a friend of mine used to do the lighting because that was his kind of interest out of school. And um and I thought this is I'd love to get involved in, you know, this is obviously an industry. There is event stuff happening, but I've got no real idea of how to get into it. And about, I don't know, a couple of years later, this would have been 2006. The Scouts as a whole internationally were doing an event at Highlands Park in Chelmsford to mark the 100th anniversary of scouting. And I saw an 18 month contract um, to be an event coordinator basically managing the thousands of volunteers who were coming from around the world to work on the event so i took a career break from immigration to go and do that and then never went back really and that was kind of my foot in the door of doing you know visitor slash events type stuff i've now got so, a great visual of kind of disco immigration guy yeah. uh, <laughs> like big, big fluorescent jacket on kind of bit yeah. of a rave culture going and uh... 
flashy light on my hat kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's a good, it's a good um, visual. <laughs> and yeah, and it kind of went on from there. I worked for the Scouts, then I went to work for a company doing lighting for TV and events. I was there a couple of years. I went to be the event manager um, for my local hospice, organizing their fundraising events. Just the most fun I have had. You would just oh, I, th- I really think we could do, we'd make some money if we did a 5K run around the park. Like, a, like we did a color run in the local park. And if you wanted to do the actual color run, it was like a ton of money and you had to go to London or I think it was at Wembley at the time. But we're like, let's just do it in our local park in Kent and we'll charge people 20 quid. And we had like 1,100 people come on a Sunday morning. And just, you had the real freedom to just come up with stuff and run with it. And then completely randomly, I kind of split my career into two, basically. And after I worked at the, while I was at the hospice, a friend of mine that I'd worked with at the Scouts years before was um, event producer on this show called Secret Cinema. And he said, oh, I'm after a front of house ops manager um on this show we're doing are you around and i said yes i can do that and it was a real like i'd taken a risk kind of leaving a permanent job at the hospice to go and do this six month freelance thing and i'd never done any freelancing before didn't really know what the deal was with it and it was my first kind of role in what kind of what i would kind of class as like a like the serious events world and it kind of went from there, really. And then seven or eight years later, I'm working with ABBA. So <laughs> it's, been, it's been interesting. Every journey a visitor takes through your attraction should immerse them in your values and heritage and leave them wanting more. Stephen Spencer and Associates are a team of highly experienced tourism and retail aficionados who will help you develop a sixth sense in order to maximise every opportunity. We're here to help you build and engage your team to own and enhance your visitor experience. Above all, we're here to help you increase your profitability in these challenging times because people become engaged team members and loyal customers when they love your attraction as much as you do. You're listening to the Brown Sign Project podcast. What secret cinema was your first one? Was it the very, very first one? I'm trying to think what it was. No, so I did um, my first one was Star Wars. Which oh, was, I went to that. It was a great event. Um, which was 2015. And then I ended up staying there for a bit. We did three or four shows at that same venue, yeah. um, Printworks in, in Surrey Keys. Um, and kind of in between, kind of off the back of doing Secret Cinema, someone that was working there worked on Hyde Park Winter Wonderland, and they were after a visitor services manager, so I went to do that. Um, and I ended up doing kind of four or five of those, and eventually they took me on as a permanent member of staff, um, the kind of parent company that runs Winter Wonderland. They did a couple of music festivals as well, music festivals as well, but primarily doing that visitor services, um, front of house type role. Um, so yeah, it's kind of gone from there. We'll get onto uh, kind of top tips and, and, and stuff in a, in a little while, but I think in terms of if people can take from this, if they're thinking about their own career paths, there's, it's not always planable, you know, it's not always, you just kind of have to see what comes up. And sometimes they're the best choices that, you know, they're yeah. the things that give you new experience or, you know, things that you'd never necessarily saw coming are the, the, the ones that are the real challenges and the real. Um, well, I think, I think, yeah, I think for me, 
I'd always wanted to do, as I said before, I always wanted to do something operational, but I kind of fell into visitor services because that was the role that I was approached for with secret cinema. It wasn't that it, it just so happened to be that someone thought, Oh, Rich might be good at that. And it kind of happened. So from secret cinema onwards, it was just, Oh, the visitor services thing. I really like it. I, you know, I like meeting people and, and being on the ground and dealing with stuff. And, it was just a kind of chance that that was the role they had and someone thought of calling me. So yeah, it's very up and down and you never know what's going to happen. And that would, that's going to be my question actually. And I think we, I might already know what your answer will be, but maybe you'll surprise us is what do you think's the biggest challenge about like working in those types of roles, those visitor experience roles that you've done previously? Like what, what would you say generally speaking is a big challenge for that? Um. I think it's really interesting for me coming from an events visitor services background for a lot of the time you're starting from scratch in terms of build, putting the team together, realizing, thinking about, you know, well, how many people are we going to need for this? And when do I need them to start? Cause I don't need them too early because the event hasn't opened yet, but I don't want them too late because we still need to, to train them. So f- certainly from a, from a a short events viewpoint it's that kind of working out your timescales and knowing when to get staff on when to start planning once you get going i don't think it's that bad obviously that training that i mentioned for the team you're just you know if if something happens and you have to deal with it hopefully you've role played it or you've spoken about you know if this happens we'll do x y and z um but for me it's that initial kind of getting up and running really yeah that that just in time delivery almost is yeah Yeah. real is a real key to that yeah yeah we we always have challenges in our industry um and we face it especially i can imagine abavoid's brand new attraction brand new concept you know what sort of challenges have you had for that or um you personally kind of going through a new brand new attraction um it's been a real eye-opener because not only is it a brand new production, it is a brand new venue as well. And going from, you know, opening, opening anything new is a challenge, as I'm sure many of our listeners will know. But doing it in a brand new venue at the same time has been a real eye opener. Um, the venue is great. And the thing for me is, if you're an ABBA fan, you've been waiting 40 odd years for them to do something new and this is it so the hype around the show has been crazy lovely at the same time but crazy and I was really keen to put together a team where that kind of matches the hype of the show and the show is brilliant it's I think if you come you have a great time it's a real party but for me, I really wanted your entire experience as a as a as an audience member to mirror how good the show is. So, you know, from the moment you step off the train, you're greeted by a really enthusiastic visitor services and security team and stewards. Um, we've got people kind of showing you where to go, and we, we'll walk you to it. Like just the kind of basic stuff for visitor services teams to do, but just we just try and go a little above and beyond and the 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 great thing 
that kind of goes against the challenge of opening something brand new is that you can start from scratch. So you say, I really think, you know, in an ideal world, we could do X, Y, and Z. And luckily, I've been in a position where the people who look after the money have gone, actually, yeah, that's a really good idea. So there's bits and pieces that I think if you were to, if I was to come on and the show had been open a year, it would be really difficult to to kind of make those changes if you wanted to. But I think yeah. it's, you know, we've been lucky to, to to really kind of get it to how we'd like it to be. And you're not contending in some respects in that case of like, well, we've always done it that way, which is exactly when you inherit an attraction or a venue or a show, whatever it might be, the, well, we've always done it that way is always. Yeah. It's like the yeah. classic catchphrase <laughs> with <laughs> attractions. And it's really nice. I'm one of two visitor services managers. We have different backgrounds. He comes from a, um, a more of a theatre background than me. And I think it's a really nice mix of experience that we have. Like, there's definitely been stuff that he said, oh, we should do this. And I thought, I would never have thought of that. So it's been so lovely putting a real mix of people in into the team. Um, so, yeah, like, I've, I've learned so much from doing something new. It's been great. Well, that's fantastic. I'm so looking forward to come see the show. I think I've seen the previews of it and stuff on YouTube. I'm like, this is just, it looks <laughs> magical. So one of our real issues is that we are really keen on keeping the show a surprise. So probably well, one of the big challenges that we have at the moment is trying to make sure as much as possible that people don't use their phones to, to film the show. And it's a real, it's an interesting mix of theatre and concert. And if you go to the theatre, it's kind of universally accepted that you don't use your phone. But if you go to a concert, there's never really any restrictions about filming or whatever. So it's a real middle ground. And it's been really interesting seeing audience reaction to how we try and police that. I would say as someone who's been to a lot of gigs in the past month, because, you know, I've had two years of gigs <laughs> condensed into Cancelled, a month, yeah. pretty much. Um, I would be all up for gigs with no phones for the rest of eternity. Like I'm kind of <laughs> sick of seeing the the stage through the person in front of me's phone, you know, like yeah, well, the, I'm all for leaving it there. <laughs> the, the plan originally was that we would, stop people filming for the previews that we had for the the test basically dress rehearsals with an audience and that worked really well we would put people's phones in bags like secret cinema sometimes do um, and that worked really well no one filmed anything and then coming out of those previews and going into you know us opening properly to the public it's been very much the view of the production team that actually it's so much better when no one's on their phone it means people properly engage with the show but also we keep that secret for you know future audiences um and we're just trying to fine-tune how we deliver that message um at the moment but it's been it's been really interesting how audiences have reacted that's really interesting it's great 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 i can't wait i really can't wait but we're excited to have you i'm ready i'm ready already (laughs) um so it sounds like you've had some amazing experiences throughout your whole life. Um, so I just want to ask you, can you give us that three top tips of what to do and how to work in a tourist attraction industry or kind of how to get in? For me, a really important thing about just being in the industry is the attention to detail. I think 
tiny things make such a difference. Sometimes it can kind of shoot you in the foot a little bit. We made um, little cards that you get given as um, like when you leave your coat in the cloakroom at ABBA and it's got the logo on and then a number underneath that obviously corresponds with the, the hanger that your coat is on. But because it's got ABBA Voyage on, people just take them home and they just bring a, a like a really cheap coat and then leave it with us because they want the card. Um, wow. But little things like that where you try and, you know, where the staff are a little bit more, um, you know, I really like it when people approach me and ask me, oh, how's it going? Are you enjoying it? Have you been, when did you get your tickets? Just little bits like that. Um, I have a real thing about um, tensor barrier being the right way and not twisted. Just well, <laughs> oh my gosh! You, you oh my Rich. gosh! You will know, Rich, that if you've listened to the previous <laughs> yeah, yeah. in which we specifically spoke to Tensator, who make those barriers, that yeah. um, I'm a huge barrier nerd. You can join yeah. our secret Facebook group uh, if you want. <laughs> um, yeah, we real barrier nerd. I, I yeah. yeah. I oh, I love a good barrier. I love such a good. A, I, oh, there's something such about massive, it. Yeah, such a massive part of being in this industry is knowing where your barriers are at any time, like where they are. Oh, I've I've put two down there. Let's go and get them. Like you just know it's kind of one of those things. Um, <laughs> I'm <cracking> up laughing. <laughs> it's exactly what I do. I just I just want to say when I mention this and. When I mentioned this, and we, I can see the hosts on video. There was lots of hand waving in the air, going, "Yeah, I know." Yeah. What you mean. <laughs> there's a, there's a reason we keep the video on for us, right? Is that we need the arm wave. <laughs> um, my second tip, and and I think it comes from being working with the public, is just being personable is huge. Being approachable, going to talk to people. And there might be a thing where you go and say to someone, hey, how's your day been? Did you enjoy that exhibition or did you enjoy that part of the show? And there might be, they might say, do you know what? It was great, but there was this one thing. And I might not, you know, we might not have thought of that until someone says it. And until, you know, if you're working in a building day in, day out, there might just be something that a brand new pair of fresh eyes on their first time might notice. And you think, why have I not thought of that? But little stuff and just having that interaction, that one-on-one -on -one interaction with people makes such a difference. And then, again, such a massive thing, but less from a visitor point of view and more from a staff point of view, is just go and befriend everybody. Go and talk to everyone. Um, the maintenance people, the people that work in the gift shop, um, security, anyone that works on production, like just befriend everyone. And, and as I said before, I, I started working on Winter Wonderland because this guy I worked with at Secret Cinema was like, oh, I think you'd be good for this role that they've got coming up. So one, it's, it's kind of selfish in a way it might further your career. But secondly, it's such a lovely thing. Like I really enjoy meeting people. And if you're going to be working with them day in, day out, I really want to get to know everybody that I'm going to meet rather than, you know, just the, the core team that you're closely involved with. Yeah, I think that's when you're newer to your career as well, it can feel a bit intimidating sometimes to try. You know, you feel like, are these people meant to be my friends? Are they? I think we're uniquely placed in our industry that actually we are generally very hospitable. We are generally outgoing. We are generally extroverts. Yeah. 
Um, and we like people. There's a reason we work in our industry and it's usually because we like the contact with, with other humans. And I think if you can start to try and forge those bonds, they, they do pay dividends, whether that's careers or whether that's, you know, sometimes you get to be the person that offers someone else that step up and it's a really 100%. nice place to be. Is it really nice? I, th- I think the other thing as well is that for, for a lot of our roles, particularly when you're operational and you're on the ground and dealing with stuff, so much of our role interacts with so many other departments. Um, so actually it might be that you, you know, you come into contact with the people in the gift shop a lot, or you come into contact with the maintenance people a lot. It's not just, you know, you're not just in an office somewhere, your role actually interacts with all those people. And, you know, you all need each other at some point, I'm sure. So yeah, it really, for me, it really makes a difference. Yeah. So we're coming up to our last questions, which feels really sad, but I, I love the fact that when, when we do this, we just chat and then it, it suddenly is like, oh, we've done 40 minutes. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, it's going to be the longest episode ever. You know, it never is. We, we're usually pretty good. But um, what advice would you give your younger self? Like if you could, if you could talk to that kid who was interested in immigration at, at, at 20 or maybe even before that, like what would your, your nuggets of wisdom be from, from now? Well, for me, it would be just take any opportunity you can. And I know it's a bit of a cliche, but I got into, you know, my interest in operational roles came from volunteering with the scouts. Um, it just kind of happened. And I thought, oh, I'll just be it. That'll be a nice thing to do uh, for a week. And you get to hang out with some mates and you play some music to a load of kids who are jumping up and down and having a good time. And that's really, really fun. But I came away from that thinking, oh my God, that, that's so much fun. Like I really like the the aspect of an on the ground role and that entertainment type area. Um, so yeah, and from that, I did some, some work shadowing on some events and it's that kind of thing really, just taking any opportunities you've got. Great advice. The more you can say yes to, and I think a lot of us would... Um see ourselves in I thought I'd just do it for a little while <laughs> and then I never left <laughs> and here we are yeah definitely here we a theme are. here we are yeah. Rich thank you so much for t- spending the time with us on this podcast but before you go I just want to find out where can our listeners get in contact with you um so I'm on LinkedIn um my name is Rich Neville um N-E-V-I-L-L-E and um i'm on twitter at dj nev <laughs> um, ah. oh blast from the past a little bit that. yeah it's definitely a blast from the past um so yeah um i'm around i'm around excellent and we can obviously find you at the abba voyage for the foreseeable yes if you can get tickets come on down it's so much fun excellent well excellent. i'll be there at the end of july i will definitely come say hi so. yes keep in touch that'd be great yeah and i'll try from do from doha <laughs> yeah, Carlton's got a bit of a schlep to, to just get a little to bit. East London. Yeah, I'd film, I'd film it for you, but we're not allowed. So yeah, it's okay, no problem. I'll, I'll see what I can do. But no, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure, and um, yeah, look forward to hearing some more in the future what you've been up to. Thank you so much for listening to the Brownstone Project. This is the last episode in the season. I know, don't worry, we will be back and we're in progress of doing another season, bringing you some fantastic people from all over the world to talk about their careers in the tourism and attractions industry. And huge thanks again to our series sponsors, Stephen Spencer and Associates and Staff Savvy. 
The Brown Sign Project was edited by Paul Tyler. Please don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at Brown Sign Pod. And now, we hate to say it, but it's time to exit through the gift shop. 